Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance, along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we're discussing Won't You Be My Neighbor, Sylvie's Love, and 2000's Charlie's Angels. I'm Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Dylan, you're in elementary school. What are you watching before school and after school? Before school, I believe I'm watching... Rugrats, if they're on in repeat, Mm -hmm. because that's pretty dope. After school, if I can make it home, watching Dragon Ball Z Mm -hmm. or Pokemon, maybe. Nice. I don't know. The years kind of jumbled together at that age, but those were my jam. Okay. What about yourself? Well, starting from like an earlier age going forward, I would say before school, I'm watching Gargoyles. And then after school, I'm watching Power Rangers, Animaniacs. And once we got Cable, Doug, and The Wonder Years, and The Simpsons. And then as I get older, before school, I'm watching Pokemon because they switched it to do mornings. Mm -hmm. And then I'm watching Nickelodeon repeats, Rugrats, Wild Thornberries, sometimes Rocket Power, and I'm watching music videos on VH1 and MTV, switching back and forth. After school, I'm watching DBZ, Dragon Ball Z. Of course, I would get my mom to tape it on VHS whenever I couldn't make it because the bus would roll in like 15 minutes into the show and the whole Vegeta, Frieza thing was happening and I needed to be a part of it. So I was like, you got to record this. (laughs) And we slide into that evening lineup for dinner and we got the Simpsons and they would switch things around so sometimes you got Home Improvement Frasier, sometimes you got King of the Hill Simpsons, so usually those. You listed off a <laughs> lot more shows than I did. Yeah. But yeah, I'm right there with you. It just usually depended on what age I was and what I was doing. So my elementary school years, I think I was more so in, like, had soccer some of the days after Mm -hmm. school. So it messed up my Dragon Ball Z consumption. I came in a little later. I came in during, like, the Cell Saga. And I, I never knew what was happening because I'd missed some episodes and I'm like, what happened? He looks different now. What's going on? Yeah. He's always changing. And I was always bummed. I couldn't get a proper handle on that show. Yeah. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And it's still going on. And I've lost track of it. But most of the shows that I watched back then, they're still shows I watch. I love them all. Mm-hmm. Like still regularly watch The Simpsons and King of the Hill and yeah, all those good, even Rugrats. I love it. Yeah, I still watch all the repeats. Of course, all this stuff was dependent upon whether it was summer vacation or not because then that changes everything. But yeah. Because there's no before and after school and programming was different. Yeah. So speaking of spending copious amounts of time in front of the television, I've been watching a few things over these past couple weeks since our last full episode. And I will try not to bog down the episode with too much, but I'll go over these some of these things pretty quickly. I watched this interesting horror movie that I wanted to shine a spotlight on called Initiation, which I thought was probably not going to be very good because it kind of seemed bland. But once I watched it, I was very impressed by the messaging it had behind it, but also the execution compared to stuff like uh, Black Christmas, which took on kind of a sexual assault rape culture and tried to meld it with the horror genre. It didn't really work as well for me, but this initiation did kind of a similar thing, but it did it in a much more satisfying manner to me. And I think it's because it paid a lot more attention to the characters and made them feel more real. It took time to really develop them and make them be 
fleshed out three-dimensional people before things started getting real and body stuff started uh hitting the floor the slasher genre is one that can kind of get repetitive but the way in which the kills were shot and everything in this it was very visceral and it wasn't the typical chase someone around the house and eventually pin them down it was straightforward and everything that went into the movie is just satisfying is the best word i can find for it because the build-up to the conclusion it's very smart and once you understand who is actually doing it it makes sense for the story it was just very well done i really appreciated what they accomplished with this so it is much better than another movie i won't go deeply into it that i watched a couple nights ago called seance which is simon barrett's directorial debut he wrote movies that were better like year next and the guest but in that movie seance he doesn't stray from conventional horror tropes in the way that initiation does so i was glad to at least watch one horror movie that subverted my expectations another one we actually watched together was penelope starring natalie wood and i only want to mention it because well one i love natalie wood but also it really surprised me because i thought it was going to be more so gross and exploitative of natalie which there was some like sexist stuff in the movie but the cover has like natalie with two money bags over her boobs and kind of looking like oh look at her but the movie i think how i read it is more so just a commentary of a woman who is unsatisfied in her marriage and doesn't feel like she has agency in her life and she just wants to take back a little bit of control through these little acts of larceny (laughs) so it's kind of just like a light comedy caper movie almost but it's really held up by the strong performance from natalie wood and i was mostly just surprised by how much i enjoyed it because it wasn't as gross as i expected to be and i was actually pretty funny a lot of the times what'd you think i thought it was okay i didn't really like it that much but at least it wasn't as gross but there was enough to annoy me yeah this is a movie in the 60s so you mostly don't get to be completely satisfied with the gender politics of the time unfortunately we also watched a rankin and bass movie called the daydreamer which i mostly enjoyed i like their style of animation like the classic stop motion that most people mostly know them for their holiday specials but this is just kind of a take on a bunch of different Hans Christian Andersen tales like The Little Mermaid and Thumbelina so it's kind of an anthology tale where this stupid kid runs away trying to find the garden of paradise and keeps falling asleep and dreaming of these magical worlds and I mostly appreciate it for like the beautiful animation I like the puppets but I thought the movie was whack I didn't like it because of how the character acted yeah it's not great for kids to watch oh because of uh the messaging it has behind certain things yeah i mean i told you i'm glad that i didn't watch that whenever i was a little kid yeah the kid is very selfish and yeah that's one word yeah (laughs) but i think he's meant to he's not supposed to be like a picture of what children should be he's not yeah but also everyone who's talking to him and raising him and teaching him things and then the girls so they just say what they think and you know little girls watching this they're like oh okay i'll model myself after that it's not great yeah (laughs) it's not just that dumbass kid it's everyone i mostly like you said just appreciated the stop motion animation of it all i didn't find it super entertaining either it rambled on it was too long and then a final movie that i wanted to talk about was 
was Film Worker, a documentary about Stanley Kubrick's assistant, who he's like an unsung hero of Kubrick's work, that he was more than just an assistant. From acting in one of his earlier films, Barry Lyndon, up to his death in the late 90s, he helped Kubrick. He was basically like a slave to Kubrick, but he seemed happy to be so. He was so uh, awestruck by Kubrick's talent that he would just do everything from like approving all the marketing for like Full Metal Jacket across the world to finding the right Danny Torrance in The Shining. It's a little Stockholm syndrome-y. Yeah, you can kind of tell there's a little bit of trauma behind his eyes as he's relaying some of these stories, but I think it's an interesting portrait of this toxic relationship, but also the art that came from it. I was entertained by it just to learn more about Kubrick because you don't really know a lot about him besides that he was a taskmaster and didn't give a lot of interviews. Yeah, I like the documentary. It was interesting to see that perspective because I had no idea that this guy existed. So it was enlightening to find out how, I guess, abusive Stanley was. Yeah. Just to this one person mostly. And then how he basically finished Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. <laughs> Which is crazy and no one gives him credit and he made himself sick and probably took years off of his life. Yeah, all because he respected Stanley. Stanley was abusive, I think, to a lot of people. He was just the only one that decided, yeah, would stay around to endure it. Yeah. I think out of all of these, that might be the best one that I watched, either that or Initiation, but I really liked Filmworker. My legs are starting to feel a bit restless, so I think it's time to move. Dylan, shall we Sundance? We shall. singular vision of kindness and love. Love is at the root of everything. All learning, all relationships, love or the lack of it. Children have very deep feelings, just the way everybody does. There must be times when you do feel blue. I'm not feeling blue right now, though. Won't you be my neighbor? Well, I suppose it's an invitation. It's an invitation for somebody to be close to you. The greatest thing that we can do is to help somebody know that they're loved and capable of loving. Won't You Be My Neighbor premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 2018. It's directed by Morgan Neville. Charmingly soft-spoken and yet powerfully incisive, expressing his profound ideals, Fred Rogers was a unique presence on television for generations. Through interviews of his family and colleagues, the life of this would-be pastor is explored as a man who found a more important calling to provide an oasis for children in a video sea of violent bombardment. That proved to be his landmark series, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, a show that could gently delve into important subjects no other children's show would have dared for that time. In doing so, Rogers experienced a career where his sweet-tempered idealism charmed and influence the world, whether it be scores of children on TV or recalcitrant authorities in government. However, that beloved personality also hid Rogers' deep self-doubts about himself and occasional misjudgments, even as he proved a rock of understanding in times of tragedy for a world that did not always comprehend a man of such noble character. 
Now, this is one of my favorite documentaries that I've ever seen. Whenever I was a kid, I would often watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. My favorite part was just seeing him come in and change his cardigan and change his shoes and watching him tie his shoes. I remember that kind of sparking my interest in wanting to learn how to tie my shoes, just watching him do it. And I just loved him talking to the camera and feeding his fish. I thought that was so cool. And just walking around in that big stoplight, I thought was interesting and weird that it was in like his home. So I loved it. And then whenever he would go into the neighborhood of make-believe, it would kind of lose my interest a bit, which is weird because you would think that it would be the opposite. Yeah. But I just really found Fred engaging. What's this old man up to? What's his game? Because I didn't understand why he just always changed his sweater, but I just liked it because he's just singing to me while he does it. And I'm just like, this is strange. Okay. So I just liked hearing what he had to say and watching him do whatever he was going to do because who knew what he was going to do? And I remember the episodes where he would take the VHS and put it into the VCR and play the reruns. Mm -hmm. I remember those airing whenever I was a kid. So I would see like some of the reruns that he had because that was the time where he stopped recording. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, we're going to rely on all of these. And I've said enough. <laughs> so just seeing this documentary come out, I was really excited to learn more about him and the show. And I wish that they would have delved more into his life with this doc, just learning more about him as a person and his relationships with people. There are some things like with his wife and his sons and the people that he worked with that they talked about. It would have been nice to know a bit more. It was mostly about the show and his his life around the show which how it impacted people yeah and how it impacted him too and i do enjoy that aspect of it so for that part of it i really love the doc and it's great but if we had another doc that was really strictly about him that would be great too i would definitely watch that it would be interesting to see like more about his kids how that was having him as a dad because you get a little bit of it where one of them mentions like it's difficult having basically the second christ as your father mm-hmm. so just having a little bit more of that would have been interesting I do mention some yeah. Of it, yeah. But yeah, I'm not bashing the doc or anything. I love it. It's one of my favorites. You hate this doc. <laughs> no, I truly love it. And I've seen it three times now, and it still makes me cry every time I watch it. <laughs> Because it's so overwhelming. And I just think that whenever people watch this documentary, because it's just mostly it's him and the show, it kind of allows all of the adults that are watching it to be transported back into this time. And they're watching the show again and they're feeling all of these feelings. And now they kind of have a greater grasp on different things in their lives and then what certain things mean to them and hearing it again. It's really nice. I just think it has that effect on everyone that watches it. Still, whenever people watch videos of Mr. Rogers or they watch this movie, everyone just gets really quiet and they all listen to him because I've I heard it happen like whenever we saw it in theaters. It's just like this huge effect that he has and it's still going on and it's pretty amazing, I think. Mm-hmm. So I really love that. Fred Rogers, he wasn't perfect. I know that he was a human being. This effect that he had on the world is pretty amazing and learning about it because there were like his slip-ups with the guy who played the cop who was gay and yeah. He told him not to come out because he was trying to protect the show, but it was still, it's like keeping someone in the closet and telling them when they can come out or not. And that's not great, but he... Yeah, he like kept him from living his life for yeah. several years. I mean, I know the guy said that he reached out to him and gave him basically like, I'm sorry, I messed up type yeah. of speech, but it seemed kind of swept under the rug fast. It probably hurt him more than it let on in the, in yeah. the documentary. I'm sure it did. But now 
now that he has time with it, he's better with it's it, I guess. made peace with it. Yeah. But I know at the time it probably hurt him. And I know that he loved him. Fred loved him. So it's just all that stuff where he was like, I don't want the show to tank. Because he knew that the world wouldn't want this and people would stop watching. Yeah. But it's still not good. So yes, he's not perfect. But I think just him being able to talk to children was really special. And it's something that doesn't come around often. Like relate to them and really get through to them like he did. I love in the show his timing, how he does not care about anything. Like he'll just sit there and like that one part where he's like, you want to know how long a minute is? Yeah. We're going to set this timer. We're going to sit here. That's a minute. Like you just do wackadoodle stuff like that. And kids are like me. I'm a kid and I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's far out, man. <laughs> this is weird. This dude is weird. What's he going to do next? <laughs> yeah, because it makes you uncomfortable almost how yeah. slow and methodical he is. And they even make that point about whenever he's interviewing children or anyone, how he'll just let the silence linger and then the, the child will say more. And it's yeah. like, he, they're like, he's a really good interviewer. And then the filmmaker makes that joke with the yeah. person he's interviewing by not saying anything. He's like, oh, nope, I see what you're doing there. But it's just like that is what people do just like people want to fill the awkward silence so they're just like okay i'll keep talking and reveal something that might be worthwhile yeah it's really funny and still just you can see it in interviews with him and like uh footage of him talking with other people but adults if they don't know him well they would always automatically get really uncomfortable Because they're not used to someone being that focused on them and just letting them talk and then the sense of timing and just like, it's okay, we can be slow and we can relish in this time together and I'm listening to you. They're just taken aback by it and they're like, what? What are you doing? Yeah, it was almost strange. There were certain points where I would show him either interviewing or be interviewed by someone else. And seeing him interact with other adults was weird at times because I was just like, what is this person thinking right now? It's not a long section, but there's a section of the movie where they show that he wanted to branch out beyond children and wanted to do something for adults. So he tried to create a whole different show where he would like go and do Mr. Rogers for adults and like really connect with people on serious issues but then he wasn't really being fulfilled by that and that wasn't what basically he was meant to do that wasn't his calling so just seeing him interview like these people like trying to recover from drugs and stuff in these facilities you're just like what is this person thinking right now because he has such a childlike vocal intonation and a delivery of how he speaks to people that's almost like he's talking down to them but yeah but he's not he is genuine like they even address like is this guy on the level and it's like yeah no it's just how he is yeah because he was so genuine and just honest Mm -hmm. pretty much and straightforward and kind of childlike in ways people were just really thrown off and they thought that there was something wrong with him or they were just like you have to be a terrible person in real life right this is just a character like adults can't comprehend that at all and they're just like what is happening it's funny just seeing adults react that way whenever you read all of these anecdotal stories like on the internet people who have talked about, yeah, I wrote to Mr. Rogers and he wrote me back and there's more famous stories about things that he would do. Um, I think the whole reason why he fed his fish on the show is because a little girl wrote in and was like, um, I'm worried about the fish. I see them every day. Do you feed them? And so he feeds them on his show. So it's like, there you go. Mm-hmm. And the girl's like, yay. <laughs> 
So just hearing all of these stories over the years and then just seeing them all compiled in one place, but with different things, it was really nice to see mm-hmm. just that he affected so many people still. And it was real. It wasn't fake or anything. He was really like that. Yeah. Your experience with Mr. Rogers is much different than mine. It is also one of my favorite documentaries, but Mr. Rogers never really held an important place in my life. I remember whenever he would come on when I was a child and I would watch a few minutes and I was like, this is boring as hell. (laughs) I do not care about this at all. So I mostly just knew Mr. Rogers, like that boring show where like nothing happens because Mm -hmm. I don't even think I would make it to the imagination land, but I wasn't interested. Like (laughs) I could even tell now as an adult seeing the clips, I'm like, this would not have been for me because it wasn't who I was. Even still, even not enjoying the show or really being invested in him, I apparently love movies about him Mm -hmm. because I love this and I love A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I feel this movie speaks to people who just want to feel good and believe in something in this time where things are so hellish and there's not a lot of genuine people out there. So I get that part of it. I get wanting to hope that there can be such a distillation of goodness in this world in the form of this one person. You're just like, I just need one person to be kind of a beacon of light to just maybe not everyone is garbage, basically. (laughs) So this is more of a, I mean, not surface level look, but it could stand to go into deeper depth. And they don't give him like a strictly clean edit. They don't always shy away from his misgivings. Yeah, faults, I guess. But like you said, there is room for another film that goes deeper into that. And I like that it did address some of the lore around him. My favorite person being interviewed was, he was one of the crew members, the one that was like tatted up and everything. And he he shut his butt. Yeah. Because he would tell stories like that, like how anytime there was like a camera setting around, he would just take a picture of his butt. And then I won't ruin what the end of the story is, but just how Mr. Rogers reacted to that. He had the best stories, in my opinion. Yeah, because he was just so real and just he seems like one of those dudes that they're just like harsh and like this is how it is, man. Like I'll beat you up or like you're my guy. Let's go drink. Yeah. And then he's just like, yeah, Fred Rogers, love a man. Yeah. I loved what that he addressed. People had this belief that he was tatted up and everything. And he's like, nah, man, nah. <laughs> yeah, he was a sniper in the army. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yep, I heard those stories growing yeah. up. I'm just like, man, Mr. Rogers is wild. Just like underneath that sweater, just like yeah. sleeves of tattoos and everything. That's wild. But <laughs> the film addresses some of that. But it's more interested in just how he impacted so many people in such a specific way just by treating children as equals and not talking down to them. He had such a belief that what children had to say was important and let them believe that, which is such a hard concept for me because I do not really care what most children say and they get on my nerves. But... I'm glad that he was around to care about what they say. Yeah, but child development. Yeah. That's what he was interested in. It's very important that someone like that is around. I don't have any children, so I don't have to be responsible (laughs) for indulging in that. I'm not rude to children, but for the most part, don't really care what they have to say. (laughs) Come at me, internet. I think 
you mostly get annoyed with movie and TV children. Yeah. Just because they mess everything up. The way they're written. Yeah, yeah. they're awfully written. Yeah. Most children in real life don't mess things up that badly. I mean, they're fine. Yeah. They can get annoying if they are just not quiet whenever you need them to be quiet. <laughs> yeah. That and like the repetition, saying things over and over. I'm like, bro, I get yeah. it. I get it, man. Some people don't have the patience for it. That's why some people are teachers and some people aren't. Because <laughs> I could never be a teacher. Yeah. <laughs> The fact that he wasn't just, like, tolerant of these children, but he had, like, such patience and, like, genuine interest in them. That's so crazy. People keep alluding to the fact he's unreal, basically. Yes. <laughs> but that's what makes him an interesting subject of a documentary. One of the most interesting clips to me was this vintage clip where the government, I think it was around, like, the time of Nixon, whenever he was trying to eliminate PBS. Not eliminate it, but, like, defund it so it wouldn't be able to survive. And how all these people were trying to go in and argue to Congress or the panel, whatever, that was making the decision why PBS is valuable. And this one guy is just like, this is BS. I don't care about this. I need to get through this. And then Mr. Rogers comes in and just speaks for like 10 minutes. And this guy's just like, wow, you completely changed my mind just by the way you conveyed this information, the genuine belief that you have in it. And you said something in such a way that it really it changed my complete demeanor. And I'm like, that's so wild. Yeah, he single-handedly saved PBS. Yeah. I mean, there are also things that I don't completely agree with Mr. Rogers on. (laughs) He's probably right about how children don't need to be subjected to certain programming while they're still children. Violent stuff like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or things like that. The Simpsons or whatever. Harsh language and people getting killed. But I like those things and I don't think it completely messed me up. I understand why he felt uncomfortable about children being subjected to the more harsher themes in the world, I guess. Yeah, I I like those things too, and I watched all those things too, and I think they're a very important chunk of me, like, Mm -hmm. as a person. So I would be totally different if I didn't watch those whenever I was a kid. But it wasn't just the violence that he hated. He didn't like the programming being so empty and, like, vapid. Yeah. So it was just, like, mindless programming and like empty calories he didn't like it yeah. and he wanted something with more depth something that would is like understanding children more and so it would speak to them directly he also didn't like violence so whenever you have kids wanting guns to play with i mean even i don't think that's great yeah. now i mean i think that's pretty terrible but he didn't like all of that stuff he wanted more for the kids i guess to really dig into instead of just like cartoons running around slapping each other in the face yeah <laughs> But a little bit of that's fine. Yeah, but sometimes you gotta laugh and cartoons are fun. Yeah. All the cartoons that I watched, the stuff on Nickelodeon, whenever it's like classic golden age Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. all of that stuff really did have depth though. It wasn't empty and it had a lot of themes and fully developed characters. It changed my world a lot of times because of just things that I was interested in and things that I liked. I think programming for children got better. Like as it goes on, you have like adult themes, but in a gentle way. Yeah. Even Rugrats had adult 
adult themes, but it was just like gently in there. It wasn't anything abrasive. Yeah, I think probably especially the eighties were really empty calories in terms of <laughs> yeah, like, like children's programmers flying around. <laughs> yeah. Which like I said, I still enjoy some of that stuff, but I think occasionally Mr. Rogers would have an kind of unrealistic expectations of what children should be or should be should subjected to. Yeah. But maybe that's just because I'm so jaded by the world and I'm like, this is how it is and biased on like what my interests are. It's not like I was saying like, forget you, Mr. Rogers, you don't support this. I don't like you. I'm just like, I don't completely agree with your stance, but that's fine. Yeah. He wasn't going to get anything taken off the air, even if he didn't like it. Yeah. I appreciate the fact that he wanted more for children. Yeah. Give them the option to have something that makes them feel seen and it's beneficial to them. He was all about talking about wild subject matter that Mm. you wouldn't even get in cartoons. Just assassination and... Yeah, divorce. I mean, occasionally now you get like divorce and not so much then. Just like, what does this mean? And then like racism Mm -hmm. and... Yeah, he wanted them to understand and he knew that they might not get it the way that they needed to get it other places, like even their parents. So he was just like, I'm going to explain this to you Mm -hmm. because you need to know about this. Like one of the ladies who worked on the show said who was being interviewed he was pretty radical yeah for his time (laughs) mr rogers was doing these small little things to be like this isn't right and this like this doesn't have to be this way and like trying to teach children that there's a better way i just really appreciate the mark that he left on the world and pretty much all of the good that he put out there are still countless and countless people who are affected by him but just hearing certain people say things now like whenever i was reading amy poehler's book how i think she mentioned something about like where's Mr. Rogers whenever you need him we need more guys like that guy and I've heard people mention like what is it that Mr. Rogers would say look for the helpers you you have to look for the helpers in the situation he's always there in ways that sometimes I forget or I don't expect so it kind of takes me off guard but I just really enjoy it and then there's so many people who are my age who think that they're worth something because he was the only guy around telling children that they're special just because they're them and no one else would tell them that Mm -hmm. and it's really sad but I'm glad that he was there to do it because there are tons and tons of kids who finished school and did a lot of great things because they're like I am special and I I deserve this I think it's amazing yeah it's weird to think how unique he is just because I cannot think of anyone really in the present who has like taken up the mantle I'm I mean I know there's a Daniel Tiger's neighborhood that has like continued his legacy but that's not the same thing. It's not so, like a real person that you can look to in these times of strife, but that you can be like, what is he saying? What guidance does this person have? Yeah, especially since Daniel Tiger was Fred, mm-hmm. and that was all of his insecurities and worries, and he was talking, yeah. so you're not going to get the same depth. Yeah, so I'm just like, who is that person now, or are they coming around soon? And they'll probably be treated with the same level of skepticism as Fred, because it's just like, are you in it for the right reasons or are you trying to be something that you're not? Yeah. I think they mentioned something about how there will be another person like Fred because there always has to be, but it's been a while and I still haven't seen anyone. And then before him, I don't know who that would have been. Yeah. I don't know. Cause there are people that adults can look to that are like, Oh, I love the way this person speaks on these subjects and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I personally just cannot think of someone who is that or children. I can't either. Which is 
said. Yeah. <laughs> I do like that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and Fred Rogers as a person pretty much inspired the show Kidding on oh, Showtime yeah. because that's a really great show. Yeah. Jim Carrey plays Jeff Pickles and he is not as... Fred Rogers was. He's a lot darker as a person. But he's not disingenuous. No. He just... He has a lot more trauma. Yeah. (laughs) But that show is so good, and I wish that it was still going. Yeah, if you have Showtime and you like Jim Carrey, that's a great role for him. It's one of the best things he's done probably in the last decade. (laughs) Yeah, and Judy Greer is in it, and she's amazing. Yeah, we love Judy Greer. Yeah. You mentioned The Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, the Mm -hmm. movie starring Tom Hanks. Mm -hmm. The guy that Matthew Reese is playing, he was in Won't You Be My Neighbor. Really? Yeah. His name was Tom Junad, Junad, Mm -hmm. and they changed his name for Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, but he was the journalist. Okay. Whenever I was rewatching this, I was like, oh, I wonder if this guy is the guy from A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It is. And I looked at Matthew Reese's character name. I was like, nope, doesn't match. Must have been a different guy. So so they just changed his name. Mm-hmm. That's stupid. Yeah. I read why, but I can't remember. Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, that'd be cool if it was. Because like, now I know who this guy is. Mm-hmm. Now I'm happy to know that it is this guy. Because yeah. he had a lot of good stories in the film. Yeah. I read the article that he wrote in the movie that he was writing. Mm-hmm. I read that whole article. It's really long and it's really good. Mm-hmm. And whenever he was in Won't You Be My Neighbor and he was talking about how... There's that one day on the subway that all the kids and everyone just stopped and saying it clicked and I was like, I wonder if that's the same guy. So I looked it up and found out it was him. Interesting. I really liked his story about, I think it was at Fred's funeral outside when the yeah. Westboro Baptist Church was protesting and yeah. everything just because he associated with a gay person mm-hmm. and just how Tom, he was kind of musing how Fred would be so sad of how these children were blank faced and just kind of looked miserable and it just made you feel awful because like anytime the Westboro Baptist Church anytime I see them out it just kills my soul yeah but just you do feel bad for their children and just like the hate that's being inflicted upon them or like ingrained in them yeah and then they don't even know why they're doing this and then they're gonna grow up to believe that stuff yeah so yeah I thought that was pretty cool that he was in the movie yeah I'm glad you told me that because (laughs) I was like man they really missed an opportunity by not getting this real dude in here yeah There's also the part that they talked about how whenever he would make a speech and he would always insert the think about people who loved you here into Mm -hmm. being. And there's a video of him where he accepted the award for a lifetime achievement at the Emmys and he's doing his speech and he did that, but he only did it for about 10 seconds. Watching all of the people in the audience, it's that same effect that I talked about how people just, they're really like unnerved for a minute and they look around like, is this what we're supposed to be doing? but then they stop and they take it in and it just overcomes them all and they do what he says and they're all just amazed and disarmed and vulnerable. Watching that video and watching everyone start crying and then just remembering people, it's really moving to watch. And then Fred, he thanks them for doing it with him. So if anyone wants to watch that video, it's on YouTube, you should watch it. It's really nice. All of us have special ones who have loved us into being. Would you just take along with me, 10 seconds to think of the people who have helped you become who you are. Those who have cared about you and wanted what was best for you in life. 10 seconds of silence. I'll watch the time.
What is your rating system for this? My rating system for this movie is cardigans. I will give this movie four and a half cardigans out of five. I will also give this four and a half cardigans out of five. If people would like to see this still incredible documentary, it is available on Blu-ray and on HBO Max as of this recording. Tell me about this new boy at the store. Hey, what's your favorite song on this? You don't know what love is. I am not answering that. <laughs> is he cute? I didn't really notice. That much. <laughs> My band's playing tonight at nine if you want to come. Never met a girl who knows much about music as you do. <laughs> In television. Don't get me started. I've seen every episode of everything. How was it? He's extraordinary. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Can I walk you? Sylvie's Love debuted at the Sundance Film Festival in 2020. It is written and directed by Eugene Ash. The film stars Tessa Thompson, Namde Asamoa, Ryan Michelle Bathe, Reggae Jean Page, Asia Naomi King, Tone Bell, Jemima Kirk, Lance Reddick, and Eva Longoria. The jazz is smooth and the air sultry in the New York summer of 1957. Sylvie helps around her father's record store as she waits for her fiancé to return from war, until sweet saxophonist Robert walks in looking for a day job to subsidize his residency at the Blue Morocco Lounge. The chance meeting kindles a deep passion in each of them, unlike anything they've felt before. Sylvie's mother and immediately disapproves and reminds Sylvie of her engagement, while Robert's band books their first gig overseas. As time passes, the sexual revolution begins and Motown becomes king. The two fall in and out of each other's arms, but never out of love. I was very excited to watch this movie. I've been very interested in checking this out since we were at the Sundance 2020 and I overheard people talking about it at a Starbucks. I'm just like, man, they are raving about this movie. (laughs) This sounds good as hell. (laughs) And I mostly really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. I have some problems with it. (laughs) But for the most part, I thought it was a really lovely, classic feeling movie. It almost feels like a Douglas Sirk film from the 50s, which I think is cool because there weren't many tales of black people having this kind of grand love mm-hmm. when those movies were being made. So it's a definite throwback to old school Hollywood, even like from the score to the cinematography and not just because of the period setting, but also just in the technical construction. It's unlike most pictures being developed today, mm-hmm. just as that classic aesthetic. The cast is phenomenal. I really like Tessa Thompson in this role, and I love how versatile she can be Mm -hmm. um, just from movie to movie. The fact that she can so easily play a role like this in like juxtaposition to her role in Thor and Sorry to Bother You. It's just completely different moods that she's (laughs) delving into. She seems to fit in this time period. Like Everyone feels real within this time period, and I really love it. And it's a very nice love story. I really enjoy it, but I also like a lot of problems I have with classic films. There are problems I have with things that happen within this movie that it almost stuck the landing, but there are just certain character choices and miscommunication things that I was just like, why? Why? Mm-hmm. Just because it's a genre convention, why do you have to do this? Yeah. But otherwise, really enjoyed it. 
I really enjoyed it as well. Like you said, I got frustrated with a lot of the character choices and writing it in just to make obstacles, I guess. Mm -hmm. And like you said, they don't have to do it. They can make it different and it would be great. It's just something that normal, real people would not do. Yeah. Why don't you just talk to the person and it'll be fine? (laughs) Yeah, I hate whenever a plot point is someone like they have too much pride to do something. And I'm just like... Get over yourself. Yeah, I don't think anyone has that much pride. (laughs) Because I am a person who loves things being direct and straightforward. Mm -hmm. And so whenever people make things super difficult and they're very either passive aggressive or indirect and just weird and vague, I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. Just say whatever you need to say so that we can get on with this because I don't have time for this. It just makes things unnecessarily difficult and I don't think real people would do that. Yeah. And as we've said, it was believable up until a point because people do get stuck in loveless marriages mm-hmm. and they get in... Especially in that time. Yeah. Bad situations. They they settle mm-hmm. for their lot in life. We're not going to spoil anything, but there are just certain choices that people <laughs> make. It's just like, oh, you're an hour and 40 minutes into this yeah. and you just made this weird choice that... It doesn't make sense. Yeah. (laughs) I really love the soundtrack and the Mm. score. There's some dope songs in Mm -hmm. there. But of course, the time with the music, great time for music. Yeah. And I like the way that it looks. It's really pretty. I think that it was interesting that they would use stock footage for the town or the cities. Oh, yeah. So it was really old and grainy looking. Mm -hmm. And then you go back to that and sometimes it would look older, but still new and Mm -hmm. modern. So I like the way that it looked. And I like the colors. It was really rich. Like the tone. Mm -hmm. It was warm. Mm -hmm. So that was nice. And it took place during the summer. So it's, it's very warm. Yeah, you could feel the heat. And like you said, the cast is really great. And I really love Tessa's character, Sylvie. I love how at the beginning, whenever you see her, she... Well, of course, at the beginning, yeah. I love how the first show that she's watching is I Love Lucy. Yeah, I was like, All right, do you love her because she's obsessed <laughs> with I Love Lucy? Well... Or television in general. Yeah, like the first show that they show her watching is I Love Lucy, and it's the Chocolate Factory episode. I'm just like, dope. That's right there. That's yeah. right on the money. I'm right there with you, girl. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I also love that she's, like, watching TV at her job. That seems unheard of in that time period. And I was like, damn, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, the fact that she works for her dad is, it helps things, but, yeah. But he was just like, are you going to watch TV? And she's like, yeah, I got to catch up. When else am I going to do it? I'm like, man, that's awesome. Yeah, but I love that she has that passion and it, like, feeds her later in her life. That was so interesting and different because usually the movies of the time, like, that take place at that time or that were made in that time mm-hmm. and you don't have women who are fully fleshed out and mm-hmm. they don't have dreams or aspirations but just seeing a character in the 50s who the 50s 60s and on who loves television and she's a woman and she decides that she's gonna make a career out of it it's almost unheard of and so that was really really cool I like that part of it but I also just like her character in general how she was kind of odd and eccentric and she's like in her own world and she's just doing what Whatever, and she makes like little jokes to herself and she's laughing at herself and then she dances like she was doing stuff and saying stuff that I do because she's really pleased and happy with being with herself. Mm-hmm. And I totally understand that because if people watched me alone, they'd be like, you are really weird. 
because I, I talk to myself all the time. I talk out loud. I talk in my head. I sing. I dance. I make weird facial expressions. And I'm just doing things. And she's just in her own world. And then, like, people will talk to her and she's like, oh, hmm, what? And then she just, she's very charming in that way. And so yeah. I really love that. And I love how people just fall in love with that because she's just so genuine. But then it's really sad because you see how the world beats that out of a person and really, like, weighs heavy on her because as the movie goes on she loses a lot of it it's like the spark that she has at the beginning just Mm -hmm. being young and then it gets pulled out of her and like crushed out of her yeah because she's a mother and a wife and her husband says like yes uh, i i guess you can have a job as long as it doesn't interfere with your wifely duties and you're just like Ugh, gross. Yeah, because whenever she's younger, of course in that time period, women don't have a lot of rights or privileges. Yeah. And especially being a black woman, you have even less. Mm -hmm. But she still doesn't have, like, the responsibility of, like, a full-grown adult woman. Mm -hmm. So she's allowed to be herself and just have all these dreams. It's like whenever you just kind of step into something and you don't expect it to be that way. She didn't expect her marriage to be that way, to have a man who would just say, uh, no no, you can't do those things. She thought that he would help her and lift her up, I think. And then just that disappointment, all the disappointment in women's lives that just drag them down and it like dampens that spark. It's so sad. We tackle a lot of movies <laughs> about women's disappointment. Just thinking about like an education. Because and that's women's lives. <laughs> Especially in the past. It's tragic, really. It just seems like once an episode we're like, man, <laughs> these women are really beaten down. <laughs> they are like her dreams are crushed yeah she gets to work in television but just the way that her husband is not supportive at all yeah it can be really draining yeah and she has to kind of ignore him after a while because she's like uh yeah you want me to do this but i am actually just going to keep doing what i want to do yeah and just as she has to make the point of i haven't done things for myself in a while and i want to do things for myself and it's like yeah everyone should have that Mm -hmm. but it wasn't allowed for women And sometimes it's still not if you have a partner who has, like, traditional values. Yeah. It's not great. But luckily it is better. But just in general, just growing up, men and women, there's that whole thing where the world just kind of crushes you. In your youth, you have all these dreams and hopes and aspirations, and you have, like, this naive outlook, and then it just gets flattened. Yeah. On that heavy note, it's still a really good movie, and she plays the character really well. And even though she's quirky and weird, it's not, like, manic pixie dream girl. It's realistic. She's not just being weird because it's some male fantasy. She's just her, which I like. Yeah, she's a fully realized character in her own right. I also want to draw attention to Namde, who plays Robert, just because I think he's a really fun and interesting discovery. He's very charming as Robert, and I like his dynamic with Sylvie, especially in contrast to Sylvie's husband, who she ends up getting with. Just their young, burgeoning romance at the beginning, it's just so, like I said, it's one of those classic movie romances. It's very sweet. I love the 
scene where they get locked in the basement for a little while with each other and they're just talking about music and just discussing some of their favorite albums and like have you heard this or whatever and it's just such a genuine nice moment even whenever the character makes some irritating choices I always think he does a really good job with it Mm -hmm. yeah I really like him as well the whole movie is very romantic yeah and I like that even though this is the old school Hollywood melodrama that black people never got to get it's not just let's take a standard melodrama meant for white people and just put black people in it there is a black point of view Mm. throughout the film and it doesn't just completely ignore their race because that would be disingenuous to the narrative there are things that really make me cringe like when sylvia and her husband are having dinner with a powerful person that her husband is trying to like woo for a client and then the wife has like an offhanded comment about they're white yeah the white wife uh has an offhanded comment of like your husband he has such good diction and you're like oh yeah yeah just sylvie's incredulity whenever she first meets the woman who will become her boss because she's also a black woman in a position of power and sylvie's just never seen that before and just how it takes her back but it like kind of opens her up to like maybe a role in television is not completely impossible to me and Mm -hmm. it's just such a interesting part of showing opportunities and the subtle racist things that they have have to deal with but it's not like the focus of the movie but it, it surrounds the movie in the course of this nice compelling story yeah you still have all the microaggressions that they have to deal with yeah whenever that white wife was yeah. talking about her husband she was saying how on the phone like he sounded white <laughs> yeah and it just reminded me of sorry to bother you oh yeah the, the white use voice. your white voice yeah there's like an interesting connection mm-hmm. But thankfully, not all of the white characters are monsters in this movie. I really like Wendy McClendon Clovey as the host of the cooking show that uh, Sylvie starts working for because there are so many places where she could have come off as a character who was rude or hateful to Sylvie, but it always just was more normal and what you would hope she would be, uh, at least from a modern perspective. Like she was kind to Sylvie and she was kind of her own little brand of outlaw as well because she was like a larger than life almost like a julia child but a little bit more like sassy like a brassy dame who likes to throw down with the boys and stuff so i really liked her character she wasn't in the movie a ton but she was a lot of fun yeah whenever she was first introduced is like that moment where i expected her to be unkind to sylvie but she was really nice and it wasn't expected so i was like whoa okay yeah (laughs) so it's a real cool thing to do You mentioned them talking about music a lot, and there is a lot of music in the movie because Robert's a musician and she works in a record shop at at the beginning, but I also really enjoy that Sylvie is a character that enjoys music as well. She loves television, but she also loves music, and I love that she knows a lot of things about music, music history and Mm -hmm. genres, and she's able to talk about it, and it's not something that you would see in female characters that often in movies of the past, Mm -hmm. and just probably women of that time, but not that anyone was asking them, I'm sure. Yeah. Even Robert said, I never met a girl who knows so much about music, so it's just a weird thing, but I love that they included that because... I'm sure there were plenty of women who knew lots about music, not just about, like, who was dreamy and who wasn't. Yeah, I mean, they do have those uh, characters that act as that archetype, like the woman who's fawning all over Robert whenever Sylvie is... The groupie. Yeah, Sylvie 
is trying to figure out what her life could possibly be with Robert. And then this groupie is just all over Robert. She seems kind of brainless and just very single-minded or just like, get on me, basically. Yeah. Like, you're so talented. Whereas Sylvie, she's a fully three-dimensional person with interests and opinions. Yeah. And so yeah. that's nice. Yeah. I really appreciated the ensemble in this movie. Pretty much everyone in this movie was really great. He wasn't in the movie a lot, but Lance Reddick as Sylvie's dad was mm-hmm. a, just a really nice figure. Because he was kind of a oddball at times because he was wanted to fix up junk. He seemed like he almost wouldn't fix fit with Sylvie's mother, but they made it work. Yeah. But Lance Reddick, he's such an interesting character actor, and every time he shows up in something, I'm just delighted. He has some really nice moments with Sylvie that I yeah. really appreciated. The way that he was kind of reminds me of the dad in A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good comparison. Just trying to make things work so that you don't have to buy new stuff. <laughs> hey, frugality, nothing wrong with it, okay? <laughs> no, 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 there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just amusing how determined he was. Mm-hmm. So much so that he almost harmed himself. <laughs> yeah. But I like that he wanted what was best for his daughter and like he knew that she could not be happy in certain situations and just their connection. I really appreciated. Yeah. There's a lot of things working against Sylvie. There's sexism, <laughs> racism. <laughs> yeah. All kinds classes, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But still a good movie. Yeah. Should check it out. It balances all of it really well. And it's very compelling. (laughs) Oh, good for you. And how was it? What is that rating system? I appreciate you asking. This is one of my probably more out there ones. But I'm going to go with Ron Funch's cameos. (laughs) Because I was not expecting him to show up in the movie. And he is a delight. (laughs) Yeah. So I would take four Ron Funch's cameos out of five any day of the week. Can I change your system just a little bit? Can I modify it? Hey, you go for it. Okay. I'll give this movie four Ron Funches giggles. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate that. If you would like to see if this movie resonates with you, it is currently available exclusively on Amazon Prime. Lucy Another movie from an old TV show. Uh, what are you gonna do? Walk out. They go where no one else dares. They do what no one else can. So when there's only one chance to get it right, they're the ones to call. Who are you people? Damn, I hate to fly. But they only answer to me. My name is Charlie. Meet the most elite crime-fighting force ever assembled. They've got techniques you never dreamed of. Charlie's Angels was released in the year 2000. It was written by Ryan Rowe, Ed Solomon, and John August. 
and directed by Mick G. It stars Cameron Diaz, Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, Bill Murray, Sam Rockwell, and Tim Curry. Natalie Cook, Dylan Sanders, and Alex Munday are a trio of elite private investigators, otherwise known as angels, who work together for an unseen millionaire named Charlie Townsend. Charlie uses a phone and speaker in his offices to communicate with them. The angels are armed with the latest in high-tech tools, high-performance vehicles, martial arts techniques, and an array of disguises to unleash their state-of-the-art skills on land, sea, and air to track down a kidnapped billionaire-to-be and keep his top-secret voice identification software out of lethal hands. So let's get real. I have a soft spot for this movie. It has one of my favorite actors, and dare I say people, Drew Barrymore. (laughs) And I quite enjoy Cameron Diaz, despite what people may say about her. And I love Lucy Liu as well. I really love the movie mostly for their performances and what they bring to it because I love them. Yes, this movie was made by all men. If it was written by women and directed by a woman, would it be better? Yes it would be lots better. But for what it is and what they are able to bring to it, despite not the best writing at points, it's really good for me. And I was 10 years old whenever I saw this movie and I was super excited for it. I think that they are really funny. All of them are so funny. And at that time, I just love seeing three really brilliant women being badass and just kicking ass. And I loved it. I thought it was so cool. And I love the music in it. That was a really big part of it for me. Yes, they're too over-sexualized and all the car shots, whatever, you don't... It's McGee, so you can expect like explosions and car shots and boob shots, not like nips because (laughs) this is PG-13, I think. Yeah. But like you get cleavage and you get side boob. Don't worry, families. (laughs) Your your children won't be exposed to nips. (laughs) Dear God, don't let the children see the nips. Just cleave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get a lot of booty shots, too. Oh, but yeah. Famously. Yeah. <laughs> so that's McGee. So that part of it isn't great. But the other parts, it really shines, I think. It's still a fun time for me. I also appreciate the original song by Destiny's Child for this movie. That was a great part of my childhood. Arguably <laughs> the best thing to come out of this movie. <laughs> yeah. Because all those women who were independent were throwing their hands up at <laughs> It was pretty great. But also, there are parts in the movie where the characters, yes, they're being sexualized, but they're being smarter than men because they're, like, appealing to them at that base level. Yeah. Where they know that they can manipulate them. We know you'll fall for this, so we'll just take advantage of that. Yes, so whenever I was a kid watching this, I think I liked that part of it because I loved how it kind of showed how women were smarter than men a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So that appealed to me, but I realized that they can do it in a better way. You don't have to have any of that at all in the movie. They are smart in general, and what they were doing during those parts, they were being smart. Mm -hmm. So it's just like another part of that intelligence, but you don't have to make them sex objects. Yeah, one almost wishes that could have had this cast with the Elizabeth Banks direction of the new one because the new one wasn't good for other reasons. (laughs) Yeah. But with that, her sensibility behind it, she would not have exploited these ladies and it would have probably been like a better amalgam of everything to come together to just perfection. It would have been a better balance of things. And I also don't like that 
that in this movie and probably in the second one, I don't like how they call each other bitch. Bitch is thrown around a lot in this movie. They're calling other women that and men are calling them that. That was very of the time. And just looking back and watching that and just hearing it so much, I'm like, wow, that's a lot of like internalized misogyny and by them and then just misogyny in general. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't necessary. It's teaching young women all of that. Like in Mean Girls <laughs> later on where Tina Fey's character says, you all have got to stop calling each other sluts and whores. It just makes it okay for guys to call you sluts and whores. So just don't. <laughs> just listen to Tina. Yeah. I still quite enjoy this movie. I just love the three women together. They are so great and funny and I love them. Mm -hmm. I've seen this movie a few times. It's been a, a couple years since I've seen it or more than a couple years, but I was glad to revisit it. There are definite problems with it and <laughs> I was probably annoying in watching it with you just because I was just like, oh, there he goes again. Like, gratuitous ass shot, gratuitous boob shot. Because I was just like, McGee, lighten up, man. Come on. Yeah. Because it was just so blatant. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned it to you. We were trying to figure out. We thought that we had watched a documentary, a, a prominent actress talking about how mm -hmm. Cameron's opening booty shaking and her underwear scene offended the, that performer. And we still may have seen this in a documentary, but I know what I was referring to. I found it was Tandy Newton had given an interview in which she basically named names and like called out all the people who have like wronged her in Hollywood and she specifically mentioned that scene of they wanted me to be like sexualized and be uh, used as like a token figure they wanted to give her a big fro and blah blah so so that was in a documentary though wasn't it I read it in an interview she gave these these words I'm hearing them I know I saw this in a documentary of some sort that we watched. Yeah, I remember looking back and just, I reread the article and I was like, okay, yeah, this is what I remember. Because Amy Pascal at the time just talking to Tandy and be like, this is what we're going to do. This is what we want you for. You would be perfect for this girl with a big fro and she likes to shake her ass on a bar and stuff. And it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. So you, that was the MO of the movie. Like, mm. this is what we're going for. Luckily, the trio of women, they have such good chemistry and they're so great that they elevate the movie beyond its baser tendencies. Because yeah. the movie around it, it's fine. It's just kind of like a standard <laughs> comical Mission Impossible type movie. Yeah. And the action is good. It's entertaining. It's fine. But it's not really reinventing anything. It's mostly the women in there that are yeah. helping things. And they are the reason to see the movie. Yeah, that's um, why I love it. <laughs> also, as you mentioned, there's Sam Rockwell in the movie. He has a fun performance with his crazy dance moves and just different twists and turns with him. I think that's pretty much the first time that I was introduced to Sam Rockwell. Yeah, that's very early Sam Rockwell. Yeah, I was, of course, trying to watch more Drew Barrymore movies. And he was in Confessions of a Dangerous Mind with her. So I knew that they had worked together, but I don't remember the which came first. Yeah, the first first time I remember seeing Sam Rockwell, I probably saw him before this, was Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, because he's a lot of fun in that. <laughs> I've never seen it. I like that movie. A lot of people had problems with it, but... Yeah, that's what I've heard. I liked it. Whatever. <laughs> but overall, this movie, it's fun. I don't have quite the nostalgia for the film as you do. I think I remember liking uh, the sequel, Full Throttle, more. I had more <laughs> of a connection with that, because I saw that one in theaters, and I was like, this is boss. <laughs> But I think it's a fun movie, and I love all the performers, so it's fun seeing them do their thing. And it does have a pretty entertaining ensemble. Like, Luke Wilson's pretty good in this, mm -hmm. and Tom Green 
as the Chad. Yeah. He amuses me. It's Tom Green. He's a he's an oddball, but mm-hmm. I like that they utilize it well in this movie. And Bill Murray was funny. Oh, who can forget Bill Murray? <laughs> Apparently, he had some uh, issues with the cast in this, so that's unfortunate. Yeah, that's why he didn't return. Yeah. For and, full throttle. Yeah. I, I read a story about him basically insulting Lucy Liu because mm-hmm. she didn't think she was a good actress. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember hearing about that. So I'm like, ooh, yeah, that's rough. That's not good. Yeah, but he was enjoyable in this movie. I mean, he didn't get to be, like, peak Bill Murray, but I enjoyed him in the movie. Yeah, he was a good silly Bosley. Yeah, and creepy-ass Crispin Glover. Oh, yeah. I know it probably was in the script, but I would not be surprised if it wasn't in the script that he would, like, creepily sniff the hair. <laughs> he probably did that one take, and they were like, keep I like it. that. <laughs> I like that. That's creepy. Let's keep doing that. And he's like, oh. He's like, that's a Crispin original, baby. (laughs) You know me. You only get the creepiest with the Crispin. (laughs) Creepy Crispin at his peak. Yeah, I still haven't seen Willard because I thought it would be too scary for me. Yeah, now's the time. (laughs) Now's the time. You can handle it. You mentioned the original music for the movie, but also the soundtrack otherwise, a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Ever since we've watched this movie, we've been trying to sing songs from the prodigy, which is just me going, (laughs) because I'm not sure if this was the first time I had heard Smack My Bitch Up, but... I was obsessed with that song at mm-hmm. a certain point. Probably weirdly obsessed with that song as a child. And I was just like, man, it probably wasn't. But it felt like one of the first times I'd like heard intense electronic music. And I was <laughs> like, music. yeah, like it was like that and Sandstorm. Whenever I was younger, it just like pulsed through my body. And I was like, man, this music is freaking wild man (laughs) and that's weird because i don't like edm now but i just at that time i was like man this this music is getting it i don't mind edm or anything if it has like a nice hook or yeah even just words whenever it sounds cool i like it i don't want to listen to it all the time though yeah i couldn't imagine listening to a full album but if i hear an interesting song that's cool yeah I can't remember if my brother Chris showed me The Prodigy before I saw this movie or if he walked in whenever I was watching it and during that scene and he's like, eh, it's The Prodigy. Because <laughs> I think I have a vague memory of, about that. And so whenever we went out to get something, he still had his Geo tracker and we were riding in that and he's like, yeah, let me play this. And so like a lot of good music I've learned through Chris, my older brother. Yeah, Chris should be honored by the amount of times you've mentioned him on this podcast. <laughs> Yeah, he was a big influence on me. And he played that album for me, and so we listened to that. I was like, yeah, this is fun! And then he played Firestarter, and I was like, oh, cool! And then he played Breathe, and he's like, yeah, right, it's great. And I was (laughs) like, man, this is cool! (laughs) I think he showed me it, like, the same time, because I think he heard it in Mm -hmm. the movie. I think I have that memory. The soundtrack, like I said, it was a big part of my liking of the movie whenever I was a kid, too. Mm -hmm. Because I also downloaded quite a few songs illegally because of that movie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The Heaven Must Be Missing an Angel. Oh, yeah. And Angel in the Morning. (laughs) Yeah, all all the Angel songs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that was great. Since music is such a big part of my life, music and movies together, if a movie has a good soundtrack that just elevates it Mm -hmm. in my eyes... 
I do have to say, the film, it is over 20 years old, and there are some pretty dated special effects, like the mm-hmm. beginning LL Cool J skydiving scene. Yeah, there are a lot of dated aspects to the movie. Yeah, and I think you said you meant you uh, saw some of the wires in one of the scenes. Yeah, you can a lot of times see the wires on them, because they can't take it out of where it hooks onto their clothes at points. Yeah. Certain clothes that they're wearing, and on their feet sometimes. And also, me, a kid who would watch all of the special features. Yeah. I watched the behind the scenes and so I saw them doing it and setting up the shots so now I can like see it very well but even if you don't know like you can see it still. Yeah so they hadn't uh, perfected hiding such things at this point but eh, what are you gonna do? But this is coming from a person who didn't see the wires on Dick Van Dyke and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang whenever he was playing the human doll. Are you talking about me? No me. Okay. (laughs) Me as a kid. Okay I thought you were like roasting me right now. Oh all this coming from the person who didn't see the wire. No, I'm just talking about me. Okay. <laughs> I'm roast your ass. <laughs> I'm like, damn, Jessica, you really coming at me right now? No, like as a kid, I didn't even notice that. And then until I got a little bit older and I watched it, and I was like, oh, I can see those wires. Yeah. I didn't even see them. But yeah. you can see them. I just didn't see them. Yeah. They hid the wires better than Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like things that didn't age well, like jokes and situations mm. and racism stuff. Oh, in the Charlie's Angels? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. There's a ton of that stuff stuff that you're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. Like, why did you include that? <laughs> yeah. It was fashionable at the time. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, that's, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, with crazy blockbuster balls out comedy stuff, mm-hmm. there's always going to be stuff that doesn't age well because you have like the jokes of the time and that's mm-hmm. the jokes of the time. Yeah. <laughs> being gross. <laughs> yeah. There's also the scene that I pointed out that you hadn't noticed before where Drew kind of darkens her face in yeah. that one scene and I was just like, whoa. Yeah, I never noticed that before because I think I thought that it was the lighting and then watching it on the DVD and now it's like more high def. Yeah, we watched the new, or not new, but like the newer 4K Yeah, <laughs> and it revealed quite because a sight. I never noticed that before whenever I was younger. It looked like she was in shadow. Yeah. So I was like, okay, but then watching this, I'm like, I think her skin is darkened. Is she, is she doing a little bit of brown face? Yeah, I was, I was like, what? You're like, oh baby, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that, yeah. that's not good. Yeah, but of course with Mick G and stuff, kind of expect things like that. Mm-hmm. And just being the year 2000, it was a weird time. <laughs> Man, 2000. Weird time. It was very strange. Yeah. Well, first, I'll just say this. Whenever you're mentioning the opening introduction to Cameron Diaz's character, Natalie, whenever she's dancing around her Spider-Man underwear, Mm -hmm. as a kid, whenever I was watching that, I just thought it was really funny Mm -hmm. because it's just something that I would do in my room alone. Just like, eh, look at my butt. Look at my butt. Like, (laughs) looking at my butt in the mirror, but, like, dancing to music because I dance all the time. Yeah. As a kid, we would have family dance parties, and then I would just dance in my room. It just seems like something that I would do, so I thought it was funny, and I didn't see it as being objectifying. But, I mean, I know it is. Yeah, like, we can have this in the trailer, and we'll get the guys being like, I guess I can see this lady movie because there's gonna be butts in there. Yeah. But I also think it works with Cameron's character, because Natalie is like that. She loves dancing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it doesn't have to be, like, such tight close-ups on it. There's ways to film that. It could have 
have been like her actually seeing herself in the mirror like the mirror shot and not like zooming in on her butt while she's doing it yeah but just her being silly it made me laugh as a kid just because that's just silliness that I would do yeah I'm not like in a huff at that no. scene of just being like I can't believe they put this in here I'm just more like yeah yeah McGee we get it yeah I get how it's not great as a scene and I totally understand but I'm just reflecting back on how I saw it as a kid yeah and I can understand an actress who would see that in the script they'd be like why like yeah. I don't I don't really want to do that I don't think it's a pivotal character yeah. point that's just how my child brain and it still makes me laugh just because it's so ridiculous she's just silly yeah and Cameron she seems to be having fun with it so yeah I mean who knows what she was really thinking I know that the three of them well at least Drew and Cameron I'm not sure much about Lucy's thoughts mm-hmm. they have reunited on Drew's talk show last year all three of them but I know at least Drew and Cameron enjoyed the time together I don't know about like the working conditions or what they thought of the script or the characters Mm -hmm. but I know that they love the time together I think all of them the three of them love the time together Mm -hmm. and Drew and Cameron became like best friends I just don't know what they thought of the roles it would be interesting to know yeah I think from what I was doing like my reading afterwards I think Drew at least had some input on the script and everything and stories because I was reading how she realized it was probably a studio note and she's like oh yeah I can get her behind this of like giving them all boyfriends basically it kind of made me cringe whenever I was reading this quote but it's just kind of like well what do girls like to do whenever they get together they like to talk about what they did the night before and the boys that they saw and everything and I was just like "Uh, I mean that's kind of simplistic but that's your justification for putting Matt LeBlanc and Luke Wilson and stuff in this movie then okay so Drew told them to get boyfriends for them. Yeah, I think because she's a producer on the movie. Yeah. So yeah, I think she was involved in that kind of decision making process of yeah, give them boyfriends. That makes sense for Drew in some aspects because she likes to have fun. Mm-hmm. And yes, talking about boys is very fun. It's a fun thing to do <laughs> yeah. with your girlfriends. But is that everything that they talk about? No. But this is also not a super deep movie. Yeah. So it makes sense. Yeah. And- and I'm sure she would have a much more nuanced take if you really sat down and talked to her yeah. instead of just got a pull quote. Yeah, and also I'm sure she wasn't going to be like, hey, we should do all these things, make all these major notes that were more feminist because she's working with a bunch of men and she... Picks her battles. Yeah. Yeah. I think she knows that even though she's a producer and she has more power at that time because she's a big name, mm-hmm. I think she knows that they could just be like, well, we could just get someone else yeah. if you don't want to do this. She wasn't like a big enough name that she couldn't be replaced. It's sad, but it is of the time. Whereas now, I think women have more agency because they're creating movies and roles for themselves. And you have Mm. people, like I've talked about, Jessica Chastain and Reese Witherspoon, they actually have the advantage of saying, I'm not doing that. And they make something for themselves, which at that time, women can't do that. They weren't doing that at all. So yeah, this movie, it's fun to watch. It's not the best movie in the world (laughs) or anything, but it's a fun time and I have a soft spot for it. Agreed. It's a better than average action comedy movie. Yeah. Just based solely on the chemistry of the three main ladies. Yeah, it was just nice having a movie where women were being smart and kicking ass at that time whenever there weren't that many movies that I could watch as a kid like that. Hit me with that rating system. My rating system is the Chads. Nice. I would give this movie three and a half the Chads out of five. (laughs) 
What is your rating system? I'm going to go with tugboats, <laughs> which the Chad drives. <laughs> and I will also give this three and a half tugboats out of five. If you want to see how this movie holds up for you, as I previously mentioned, this is available on 4K ultra high def Blu-ray, which looks pretty great. But if you want to cheap out and go for the Netflix option, go for it. It's currently there as of this recording. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next time when we'll be discussing Britt Marling's 2012 psychological thriller Sound of My Voice and 2018's Private Life starring Paul Giamatti and Katherine Hahn, plus a wild card that you'll have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, Sound of My Voice is currently available on Cinemax, digital, and Blu-ray, and Private Life is available exclusively on Netflix. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movies we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you enjoyed the show, feel free to leave a rating or a review. If you didn't like it, don't even worry about it. That's fine. We don't want to hear about it. (laughs) We're not feeling it, okay? (laughs) Just keep it to yourself. Buzz off. Make like a bee. You know what? If you didn't like it, you can suck an egg. Oh, (laughs) you can go kick rocks, okay? But also, if you do enjoy us and you want a little bit more of us, you can follow me on Twitter at DylanGonzalez2. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on GeekVibesNation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at JessicaNarrates. You can also find me contributing to GeekVibesNation.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at MusicByAndrewCarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is provided by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the art of Ben Belcher. I've been Dylan. And I've been Jessica. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you please? Won't you please? Please won't you be my neighbor? Hey, neighbor. Bye. Gucci.